Welcome to My Therapist is Out, an open space therapy collective podcast. We are your hub for queer and trans mental health care. Each episode, we talk with one of our open space therapists or LGBTQ community member about mental health and building community. I am your host, Renee Johnson, they, them. Founder of Open Space Therapy Collective, I'm a licensed therapist and an art therapist. I specialize in working with queer artists who are exploring their gender identity and recovering from complex trauma. As we dive into today's topic, please keep in mind that this is a mental health podcast and we will talk about sensitive issues. If you would like to be informed of any trigger warnings, please read the podcast description. Hey y'all, this is a Swapcast episode. I am so excited and this one is uh, a really big deal for me on a lot of levels. Um, We are Swapcasting with the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Their host, Paul Gilmartin, is somebody that I have known over several years. We first met eight plus years ago um, when he generously offered to come and talk to clients that I was working with at a recovery center. Um, which is just a really generous and positive experience. Um, Right about that time, I was just starting to understand and get language for being a trans person and that my gender didn't fit what was assigned to me. And Paul was one of the first people that I was able to really start talking to about that. And that's um, always held a special place for me. This episode, on top of um, being excited to reconnect with Paul, um, is a big one. I have stayed pretty private about my story um, over my lifetime because a lot of it has to do with my mom's story. Um, My mom's mental health journey is a big part of my journey and um, I wanted to respect her privacy and and her process. And since she um, passed last year, it seems um, like a good time to start talking about it, both to continue my own journey um, and to, to honor her her really daring and brave and uh, powerful process for herself. So we're going to dive in. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you connect. Um, If anything resonates for you, please reach out, um, DM, email, you know how to find us. Um, And if you want to listen to more of Paul's episodes, please do. Um, Mental Illness Happy Hour, you can find on all of the podcast streamers at Mental Illness Happy Hour. You can find him on Instagram at MentalPod. He has been doing this podcast for 11 plus years and it's still going strong. His compassion, realistic viewpoint, and dark sense of humor definitely makes it one of my favorites. Let's dive in. I'm here with Renee Johnson. It's so good to reconnect with you. You too. I'm so excited. I met Renee. uh, She was a listener years ago living in the Bay Area. And I think you sent me an email saying, if you're ever up here, I have a couple of like recovery places I'd love to have you come speak at. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And we hung out and just had, uh, had a... Had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a shot in the dark for me because I had like been listening to your podcast obsessively at that time and was like, I think you had a show coming up or something. I'm like, you yeah, know we what? were doing live shows. Up yeah. There I was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to send an email. He probably won't respond. Um, but yeah, you came up twice and talked to the clients that I was working with and they were just loved it. And you brought like so much richness because they were, were so early in their recovery that it was really helpful to see somebody who farther along and living their life and doing 
different things than, than what they're used to. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very gratifying. And I also felt um, from them, I felt like, uh, you know, that, that energy when even if you're the one who's a little bit further along, you still uh, feel like an energy from them because it's just more people that are like you, mm-hmm. even though the gender may be different or their stories may be different. Mm-hmm. You're still struggling with self-esteem and productivity mm-hmm. and all the other bullshit mm-hmm. that we beat ourselves up about. Yeah. 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 So uh, one of the uh, me- several reasons uh, I'm excited to sit down and talk to you. Uh, one is you move down here, you're a therapist now, mm-hmm. and you're specializing in LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. um, struggles, issues. What would mm-hmm. you what would you call it? You know, it's always a hard thing to figure out what to call it because you don't want to call it like issues or problems because then it makes it sound like if you're queer, then that's inherently right. a problem. Right. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of our lived experience has a lot of trauma attached to it because we're in where in the place where we're at. So, yeah, about a year ago, um, myself and some other amazing therapists that I've known for a very long time opened up a practice um, that specializes in working with queer, trans, and uh, BIPOC people. Um, And it's been a year, and it's been really awesome, and I'm just completely moved by working with them and also all the clients that that have come through our doors and really, um, really honoring us being vulnerable and watching their growth and their change. It's just been awesome. I was sharing with uh, Renee before we... uh started recording is that you were the first person that ever said to me um and i guess we've been talking about trans issues maybe and you and you were the first person that that ever opened up to me and said um i don't identify as the gender that people see me as and and i was uh it kind of caught me off guard because i had preconceived notions about what somebody looks like or sounds mm-hmm. like that doesn't identify as their, their gender assigned at birth mm-hmm. uh, talk about that you know it's interesting when you said that because um i had just started getting language for it um i have known that i've been different my entire life but in the 80s that language wasn't around um especially for being non-binary and gender fluid like i don't fit into any kind of category. Um, I don't hit either binaries, and I'm not really totally androgynous either, and that really throws people. Um, And so it's been really beautiful in the last couple years as more people are saying, like, you know, gender is a construct, and it's it's fake, and you can live fluidly between all of the identities that are are made up in there to really be yourself. Um, And so it was really, like, you know, eight, years ago or whenever this was, it was a really beautiful thing to be able to tell somebody who is a cis man, like, hey, I don't know you, but by the way, like, this gender doesn't fit me. And you were just like, oh, and I like ask questions and were very present instead of what typically I would get then and continue to get is like, oh, yeah, sure. Or, oh, it's a fad or like, you don't look dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, and so it was a really beautiful experience for me too to to have you just sit with that and be in that space. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Because um, I'm always so afraid that I'm handling something um, ignorantly and and I can't see it. I suppose everybody does, but I think especially as a straight white guy, um, you know, <laughs> we're kind of the, the stereotype of the person that doesn't get it mm-hmm. and thinks they get it. Um <laughs> And obviously now I know that how somebody presents themselves, whether they're feminine or masculine or whatever, it's it's 
doesn't necessarily mean anything about who they identify inside. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the process like um, for you? What were the words that you began, maybe starting with childhood, that mm-hmm. you began to say, that word feels right, that description feels right, or or this doesn't feel right? Yeah. it. You know, um, one of the things that I can remember early on and – um, my mom would get so mad, but not mad enough where she would scold me. She'd just kind of storm away. Is She'd be like, Renee, that's not very ladylike because I was doing something rambunctious. And my response to her was, well, I'm not a lady and I'm not like, which, you know, I was five or eight or something. Right. Um, but really pushing back on that of like this, what are, you, what are you doing? This thing that you're trying to put on me doesn't fit. That doesn't work. Um, and even with like the chores that I have a younger brother, love him. He's wonderful. Um, that were split up was he had the boys' chores and I had the girls' chores. And all I wanted to do was go mow the lawn and do the the, the bigger labory things because that was more fun and more active. Um, and I would be told, no, you can't do that. That's for boys. And it was always really confusing for me. Um, but there wasn't the language yet. And in high school... And did you feel anger? <sighs> a lot of confusion. Yeah. Like, and a lot of, like... You know when you wear an out like a outfit that's too small, and like you're just like squirmy and it doesn't fit. Um, really like that. Like I don't understand what's happening. Um, and there's a lot of other um, struggles in my childhood. My parents had a horrible marriage. My mother was very sick. My dad didn't handle it well. Um, your your mother was sick mentally or physically? Mentally. Um, yeah, she had a um, psychotic break when I was in second grade because um, she had a bunch of memories flood back um, of being molested when she was a child. And so she, our, and it was the 80s, so antipsychotics weren't a thing yet. Um, and so it took a long time um, for her to find the right medication and find the right psychiatrist um, and get, get the help and get back on her feet and, and moving. Um, that must have scared the shit out of you. Oh, it was horrible. Do, it, can you, if you're comfortable yeah, describing yeah. it, can you describe yeah, what it, you remember? It was really, um, I do want to give both my parents credit. They had very little awareness or resources, but they, they did try as much as they could. Um, but it was really scary. She um, ended up being diagnosed with um, borderline and OCD and PTSD um, and had psychotic features. And so she would see, we were a very religious household, she would see Jesus, and Jesus was telling her to give her money away. Jesus was telling her to tackle me. Um, Jesus was telling her to, like, uh, run around and get out of the house. It was just really confusing. And so it was a lot of that, or she was asleep on the couch for three weeks. Um, and yeah, as a kid, you're just kind of confused on, like, all of a sudden, for the first handful of years of my life, she was, like, there and, like, hanging out. And then all of a sudden was saying things that didn't make any sense and really aggressive. Um, and Were you communicating with your dad about this? Or were you just everybody to themselves? They, my dad did a good job of saying, here's what's happening um, in, a, in an age-appropriate way. Um, and you were how old? I was in second grade. So I think that makes you, like, seven or eight. Yeah. Um, I was the age that she was when she got molested, which is why the memories all came back. Um, and they did a good job of trying to get her out of the house when things were really bad, but she was a 
prior to this, she was a stay-at-home mom, and he was um, working and bringing the money home, and he really tried for a, for a while, and and then it just got overwhelming, and we were in a very tiny town in the middle of Iowa, um, and so there's not a lot of support. It's the 80s, and there's not a lot of understanding what's happening, um, and so it was a lot of he's working long hours, and um, we're stuck at home with mom and trying to stay at school later and go to friends later and kind of get away from the scary parts of it. And when you're a kid and you don't know anything about that, you know, when you hear secondhand that somebody's mom is quote unquote crazy, Mm -hmm. it fucking terrifies you because you don't know what that means. Yeah. You just know that there's something unpredictable and to you unsafe. Yeah, totally. And there was a lot of, People that wouldn't talk to us. Um, they, my, my dad is very um, much a performer. He likes to look nice and shiny. They like to look like a perfect family at the church. So there was a performance of going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and going to, he worked at a college, so going to the college events and like putting on the like, we're great and happy and everything's fine face. Um, and then she would crack and things would go sideways or people would see it um, or she wouldn't be around. And, the, would it be obvious what people would see in public? You know, it's hard for me to say. Um, I think even when she wasn't psychotic, um, things were really off. And I think if you spent any amount of time with her, you could really tell. Um, and, you know, but I was in grade school, so it's hard for me to know what the adults were seeing. I just knew that a lot of people kept us at an arm's distance. And then some of the other kids would be like, oh, my parents don't like your parents. Or, um, oh, you're, you're, one of, you're one of those people. No, I'm not going to hang, hang out with you or I'm not going over to your house. Or, you know, those little things that you kind of pick up in kid language where you're like, oh, I didn't – I also didn't know that it was different than anybody else's home life. Um, because the people I was around were all people who were very, very strict religious. So life was already kind of weird and – very private. Um, and so it took me a long time to kind of get clued into other people have a different reality than this. Yeah. And, and kids especially don't have a sense of what is moderate and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a lot of adults don't as well. Yeah. Myself included. <laughs> yeah. I think at 40, I'm still trying to figure yes. that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so as, as, so you've got this context of you're growing up in this in this family where there's uh, a lot of turmoil, chaos, mm-hmm. um, confusion, mm-hmm. and then you've got confusion going on inside you mm-hmm. about who you are, the words that you would use to describe yourself. Yeah, it really came to a head once puberty hit. Um, I am a very feminine figured person, um, and the religion that my parents ascribed to and being in the Midwest um, was I went from like being able to go play kickball in the yard with all the neighborhood kids to um, I was automatically a slut. I was automatically shamed for everything. I was automatically wrong. Uh, Parents, uh, teachers, uh, other kids. Because you were developed or what? Yeah. Like there was just this very clear like fear what I can say now, like a very clear fear of um, like the female body or an AFAB body. 
um, that had so much moral judgment attached to it. Um, what, and what was the word you used? An a AFAB, assigned female at birth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that it got even more confusing. And during that time, I was also going through the very um, puritanical, don't have sex before marriage, to completely disassociate from your body. Your body is a sin. Everything you're doing is wrong. That things like, do I want to be Gwen Stefani or do I want to be on Gwen Stefani started, started <laughs> right. to come up. Um, and I, especially towards like the end of high school, um, I would say a lot of things or express a lot of things that now are not, I realize are very not appropriate, but a lot of, um, I'm a girl, but you know, I'm a guy or like I'm one of the boys and yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got boobs, but really I've got a dick. Um, and really saying these things, not realizing what I was saying, but it was a continual like subconscious leak of how I was feeling. Um, and it brought in a lot of shame, not necessarily because of the gender, like hadn't even gotten that far yet, but really because of the religious demonization of the body I was born into. Yeah. It's Uh, like doubly bad. Yeah. You're, you're bad because you have the, 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 female body mm-hmm. uh, but then on top of it because you yeah are imagining that it's something else or wishing it were something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. um so what what um did you were you attracted to all genders back then what what was <sighs> what were you feeling and what did you think you should be feeling um it took me until college to, or past college, to realize that um, I was attracted to all genders. Um, at the time, I thought they were just close girlfriends, uh, or like they were really cool, or I really like them, or oh, this is just a really special relationship. Um, and I don't, I had like boyfriends in high school, um, but it was, I, there was so much shame. I just dove deeper into the religious aspect of it and disassociated even more from anything I was um, feeling attraction wise, anything I was feeling gender wise. And I ended up going from a Baptist, um, very Baptist cult like um, background and converted into Mormonism um, because I just needed to be good enough. So God wouldn't keep making my life so hard. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that about you. Yeah, it was intense. Um, and that was, you know, it's looking back now, it's been a long time. Um, it's, I didn't have the language for trauma yet either. That wasn't being talked about yet. I knew things were bad or, and I knew they were different, but it was still, okay, I need to, something's wrong with me. So I need to continue to be better and be more strict and live more strictly. And then I'll be um, in a life situation that isn't so cruel. Um, Mormonism was not the answer. And <laughs> marrying a Mormon man was also not Spoiler. the answer. <laughs> yeah. <Spoiler>. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then what's the, what's the next phase of um, your evolution in terms of uh, embracing who you are or denying who you are and the words around it? So I was really... Um, I was really lucky in 
I jumped around a bunch in college to different schools. Surprise, trauma people have a hard time staying put. Um, and during one of the schools that I went to, I had two really, really good friends, and um, Luke and Lars. And Lars was in the closet at the time, quickly came out the second we got out of college, um, is married to a wonderful woman. Um, and when I finally was like, I need to get rid of all of this religious shit and just try and be a human and see who's in there. Um, both of them with open arms were like, yeah, come move up to Minneapolis and, and be with us and let's see what happens. That must have felt amazing. It was amazing. They were like, you know, this is well over 20 years ago and they're still um, – uh, more of a savior to me than Jesus ever will be. Uh, and it, that space and those like that non judgment and that silliness, um, that they both have, that's very playful really allowed me to try different things. Um, but not in a way of like, I need to come out or I need to do this formal explanation of anything. It was just like, just be you and we'll roll with whatever Today happens. I'll try a mustache. Yeah, exactly. I think that girl is cute. We need to talk about what that means. It was – it. Um, they didn't need that, um, and they were there for whatever was, was happening. Isn't it amazing how just somebody's vibe mm-hmm. can affect us so much? Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like a, a subconscious message to, okay, lighten the fuck up. Yeah. Doesn't mean ignore <laughs> the issue, but – it's not all life or death, but yeah. it feels like it when we feel like an outsider. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Lighten the fuck up. I feel like uh, I deserve to, or they deserve to have some shirts yeah. with that printed across <laughs> it. <laughs> I saw my favorite shirt that I ever saw was this guy had one that said, if you met my family, you'd understand. <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty great. That's a, that's a good one. But yeah, I have a friend in, in my support group. He's, he's my mentor. And uh, sometimes he'll just say... Why don't you just lighten the fuck up and smile a little bit more? And it makes me laugh because oftentimes that's that's what I need. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's amazing how you can just get stuck in the digging loop and digging loop and examining yeah. loop and then all of a sudden you're just can't get out of it. Yeah. So so what next? So you meet these uh, two people, you go up and you you live with them or hang out with them in Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh and you're beginning to feel freer. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're not doing anything necessarily like, oh, I'm going to experiment with this. You're just ha- living and having an open mind and trying not to assign judgment to yeah. choices. Yeah, which that alone was a the biggest change I've ever experienced. Um, and I had um, ended up dating a few women while I was up there, um, was able to play a little bit more in not this stereotypical femme splate femme places um and it was really relieving and it was nice to just be in that that space for a while um fast forward a bunch it wasn't until maybe you know 10 years after that which would be about 10 years ago um right before we were meeting um i had moved to the bay area and um, transness and non-binariness was really being talked about a lot more. And the ability to not just go from a born female and transition to a very strict male role. And it was a really relieving thing to have people start talking about it and have people start saying like, oh yeah, this is how I've also felt forever. And um, 
say like you don't have to fit just because you don't fit in this place doesn't mean you have to fit in the other one either. You can have your identity be fluid if that's what feels right and that what's we, what feels aligned. Would, would that be like the idea of a continuum? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I don't really fit anywhere, um, which after the religious experience is a very comfortable place for right. me. Um, but it really allows for a lot of examination of like clothes don't have a gender. Like we just assign that. And so thinking of how you're dressing yourself more is like the whole thing is drag and what do you want to do with it today? And the whole life is art. And so just because you're identifying or your core self feels this way doesn't mean that on Halloween I have to stay that way. It doesn't mean that on I need to look a certain way when I'm going to work or going out with friends or it's Tuesday or it's Wednesday and you can really use your outward appearance as an artful expression. And that's not a comment on what box you're trying to squeeze into. So much of society's pushback is thinking that it's about them when they see somebody (laughs) on the street that is, you know, quote unquote odd. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, they're, they're trying to throw it in our face. Mm -hmm. It never occurs to them that that person, that might just be how they feel comfortable. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, Yeah, I was listening to the episode you did with Jesse, who was talking about non-binary and um, non-monogamy. And, like, the uh, meeting that you went to and you had a trans person come with you and somebody screamed and left the meeting because it's just, like, it has nothing – where does that even come from? Like, somebody – that dude is just living his life, going to a meeting – trying to get his shit together and somehow someone else has made it about them and it has gotten really aggressive. Um, it, and it, extra sad that it's in a support group. Yeah, meeting. it's just, it's such a mind fuck. Um, but we rallied around uh, that yes, trans man that, yeah. that, that was there. And uh, while he never came back, um, he, he knew that he was loved there and, and that we, and that we had his back and that we wanted him to come yeah. back but i totally get why somebody would be like nope that yeah. building's not for me yeah but also like what a healing experience to have people come up in that meeting and be like oh no we want you here fuck that guy like those things have lasting impact even if it was too much for him to go back to that meeting um that stuff really makes a difference i had a friend um who when I uh, had switched switch my pronouns to they, them, and I just kind of like text everybody, I was like, hey, this shouldn't be a surprise. Blah. Um, <laughs> By the way, I, I'm not even aware of what pronouns I have, have used uh, for you since you walked in the door. So yeah. apologies if I. Uh... No worries. Yes, I figured. Um, yeah. No worries. With We're you. here to talk yes. about gender. I'm not going to yes. like <laughs> worry yes. about that. Um, but it was. You know, it's really sweet. He's like, oh, we need to talk on the phone right now. And was just very much like this really affirming and like this makes so much sense to me and like outlined different parts of um, our relationship and things that we've done together and how I move around the world. And it wasn't um, 
he's a, a cis dude and it wasn't any type of um him making it about him it was hey i love you how i'm trying to figure out how to meet you here oh i get this i see you um and it was such a powerful beautiful thing that um that you broke up no no <laughs> he's gay he's <laughs> not, not interested <laughs> in me at all uh but no, it, that stuff st- that stays with you, and it's yeah. a small thing that he probably doesn't remember, but that ten minute conversation will stay with me forever. Yeah. I mean, is there anything? Does anything feel better than somebody loving you, not despite the thing that causes you anxiety, but because that's a part of you? Yeah, that that is uh, an amazing feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so terrifying sometimes to reveal that side of yourself that you're like, oh, this this is, mm-hmm. you know. Nobody, nobody will love me if they know, mm-hmm. you know, this about me or that about me. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really scary. And it's also by the time you get the enough insight into where you are and who you are and what you want to do, then it's okay. I got to tell people, hope they don't reject me and deal with all their shit on top of it. <laughs> um, you know, as, as we're talking, like when I was in high school, I was very like anti-gay um, and it had a lot to do with the environment I was brought up in, but it also had to do with like a lot of what I was repressing. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I'm always wondering how much shame is being enacted out on somebody else when these aggressive things are done, um, whether it's politically or, or personally. Um, and it's really sad that we don't have a culture that celebrates that exploration um, and just really continues to support the the shame spiral that happens. So, how many years ago was it when you began adopting they them? Um, I did the she they thing for a while and just kind of like sneaky snuck it out there mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, Meaning either or, either or, and you know, living in the Bay Area, everybody's kind of on the gender bendy spectrum of some sort, so it didn't matter. And it wasn't really until I moved down here, and that is not the case down here, that I was like, oh, I need to actually make this a point. Um, And so it's been three years um, since it's just fully transitioned over to they, them. And it's really um, has made no difference in my personal life, which is great because I have wonderful chosen family. Um, But I think in building new community and in starting the therapy practice and in really saying like, no, this is, this is who I am and this is where I fit. And I will, I'm just going to label this. So it's really clear um, from day one. It's also helped um, help some of the trauma of childhood stuff because I, I feel really safe when I can hide. Um, because being seen meant getting hurt and hiding behind a she, they pronoun um, let was safe for a while. But then it turned into people projecting their own stuff, femme stuff on me that w- that wasn't fitting. Uh, how, how so? Um, even there's so much gender bias when I was working in nonprofits, it was really clear that the the women in nonprofit got pushed to the caretaking and the lower paid roles and the dismissed and the male identifying people were um, pushed up in leadership and the there was a huge 
difference between whose ideas were being respected and who was getting trained up and all of those things. And in the process of being like, I'm not buying into any of or either of those, um, it's been kind of fun to make people uncomfortable, especially when building a business as I'm working with coaches or I hired Google ads company and they're doing really uh, bigoted stuff and being like, no, 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 you can't dismiss this because I'm a woman and you can't hold this up higher than it is because I'm a man. You just have to kind of look at it and be really uncomfortable. Um, Still, if you want a promotion, go, go by DM. <laughs> just briefly. That's just a little tip. A little tip from me. You're not selling out your people. That's just, just about money. It's just business, like they say in The Godfather. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that must have been incredibly frustrating and, and, and angering. But you also seem like somebody who uh, kind of can take a chill pill sometimes and, and take the long view, or am I wrong? No, totally. Um, I, you know, the having a mom who's been so sick for so long, you really kind of learn to shake off the bullshit and really be like, okay, does this matter? Does this not matter? Am I going to care in 72 hours or am I not? Um, and so when somebody's doing something shady because of a gender projection, like, yeah, it sucks in the moment for a minute, but I'm I'm not hanging on to that. That's like I went for a walk down the L.A. River today and I pulled my phone out to take a video of like how beautiful it was. And some guy on a bike rides by and like, you're so hot. I'm like, dude, fuck off. I'm just trying to take a, like a video of a bird. Um, but now explain that to I understand. Explain, and I wouldn't have 15 years ago. I'd be like, why don't you want to compliment? And, you know, I'm not going to unpack, you know, all this shit that I needed to let go of and be educated about. And I'm sure I still need more education about it. But talk to uh, somebody who's listening, probably a dude, uh, who is like, she got a compliment. That's not a compliment. Um... And, and explain that. Explain that. It is, um, especially, especially as somebody who uh, doesn't identify as a gender, one, you're saying, I see you as something you're not. And two, I am going to yell at you in public. Three, I'm going to let you know that not only do I see you as a gender that I, I'm not, but I also see you as something that I can touch and think about and um dominate and for if like we don't ever even talk about like sexual trauma stuff in here but it's you don't know who you're giving this horrible you're yelling this horrible statement to like this dude has no idea what he's bringing up or triggering in me which um instantly i go into like get triggered and go into childhood trauma space um, and that's horrible. So he's feeling really good about himself being like, you don't need to take a video. You're too hot. No, actually, you've just completely ruined my next 25 minutes as I try and get myself out of a trauma trigger space. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's uh, to, to somebody who doesn't under understand it. I would, you know, maybe a phrase that I, I would say is uh, they're not a car at a car show. <laughs> You know, so yell clear. that about a car at a yeah, car show. Totally. But 
people are a little more complicated mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it's and they don't probably give a fuck what you think mm -mm. about them mm -mm. about them anyway and I, and i think also a lot of people typically men don't haven't had the lived experience of someone who is sexualized some men have mm -hmm. um but not institutionally mm -hmm. and and i think that piece if society is going to kind of move forward i think there there needs a, to be a way for that to be communicated mm -hmm. to the men who you know probably aren't criminals aren't no. beating their kids or you know they're mm -hmm. they're a nice enough person but they're just ignorant mm -hmm. yeah it's and I'm sure this person was too, just a normal dude in the world um, and has been taught and it's been normalized like this is a compliment. Um, and that just get, continues to get reinforced. And so the more, I think, you know, the more cis dudes that can be like, yo, dude, that's not cool, um, the better. Because they're going to also dismiss any time... Um, an AFAB person or a woman says, don't do that. Like when I was living in New York, the cat calls were insane. Um, so and it's not a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always assumed yeah. that was, I knew oh. it existed, but I was just assumed no. that was a trope. No, I wish. Um, and there was a period where I'd yell back at them and they would get mad. They would dismiss what I was saying. They'd tell me that I like it anyway. Um, and it, so it doesn't, even me saying don't do that, uh, gets dismissed, and then another boundary cross is is happening. Another mm -hmm. violation is happening. So it's not going to – that healing process for men is not going to come from somebody like me. It's going to come from you. Well, I just burped. <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, so let's talk about your, your work as a, as a therapist. Um, did you consciously uh, get into – um, a therapy space where you want to help uh, the queer community, the queer and trans community, um, or did it evolve into that? Um, I guess a little of both. In when I was living in the Bay Area, it wasn't needed because everybody's some sort of gay. Um, and moving down here, um, we had uh, my partner and I had actually in uh january 2020 moved to singapore and we're supposed to live, be living in singapore for two years renee was uh, telling me about this before we started recording yeah. and um my partner was on a postdoc and i thought i needed a break from the mental health world i'd been working in nonprofits for 10 years the system was exhausting um and i was going to take a break and i wasn't sure if i was going to come back uh we were there for two to three months and then lockdown happened and i was in a hot apartment for six months um but ended up coming to la and being like yeah you know i really miss working with clients i really miss that like very personal journey i find it really powerful and purposeful and important and so i started seeing um clients private practice and i filled up so fast because they're and what people that um came to see me was like there are no queer or trans competent therapists out there there are people that will say, there are therapists that will say, oh, yeah, I'm like queer and trans friendly, no problem. But then I'll spend the 45-minute session educating them on what the queer and trans experience is like. 
and I don't need to pay a therapist to educate them. Um, and so it was really clear that one, this is my community. Um, and two, there's, there's a hole here. And so the therapists that, um, I brought on are all part of the queer, um, community, part of the BIPOC community. Um, what, what was the last word you said? BIPOC. So we, I, I am myself a, uh, very transparent white person. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other oh, people, th- person people, of color, yeah, person of color. Okay. Um, but the other therapists, some of the other therapists that I work with, um, come from a bunch of different, um, cultural backgrounds because I can talk to the white queer and trans experience. I can't talk to the black queer and trans experience. And, um, that's also a really big need. Um, and I think that that is with any kind of therapy, the, the best therapist that you can work with are somebody who shares some level of your lived experience. I mean, I think that's a huge part of why 12 step programs are so good is because there's a shared lived experience. So you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from a place of understanding. Yeah. Could, could not agree more. So uh, what does the by refer to in by? Um, black indigenous people of color. Okay. Uh, it must've been exciting, uh, when you realized what a need you were going to fill for yeah. people. Yeah. Or am I wrong? No, it is. Um, something I've always wanted and um, I'm kind of that person anyway is like having a bunch of community around me. And um, I have amazing community in the Bay, um, great community here. Um, and cr- the the bigger picture for us is to – Yes, provide um, the individual therapy and the group therapy for this place, but also um, our our hope is to expand and have a more community space where it can be a hub for people to land and people to hang out and make relationships and build connections with and build a bigger community. So outside of the paid 45-minute. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to figure out, like, what the next steps are. And so the maybe easiest entry is to having – you know, like a coffee shop that also has like therapy offices in the back. You, you can spend your $2 to get a cup of coffee and then hang out there all day and meet people and somebody can have a writing group or it could be a stitch and bitch or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, but really have more than just the individual therapy because while therapy is important, it's not going to work if you don't have a solid community around you. Yeah. You got to, you got to road test the car. You just, <laughs> you're, you're reading the manual about <laughs> And yes, the, the the experience with the therapist, you know, can be a template for intimacy and transparency and non-judgment. Sure. But ultimately, yeah, yeah, you, you you need to road test at other Absolutely. other places. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you know, something I say to the clients who come and see me and the therapists that in our collective all say is that um, there will be a point where you are bored of me and you are done with therapy. And that is my goal is you don't need me anymore. Um, because any therapist who's like, you need to see me forever. There's just so much stuff is, does not have your best interest in heart. Yeah. Especially if they say it creepy. Like yeah. You just especially. <laughs> uh, what are some of the common anxieties that your clients come in with? Um, or confusions? Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Um, so I work a lot with gender identity and identity development, um, and I work a lot with artists 
And it's a lot of people are coming in in a place of like, my gender is not exactly what I was assigned with at birth, and I'm nervous to start talking about it. I'm nervous what it means to start living a little bit differently. I'm nervous if I'm going to get rejected by the people in my life. Um, I'm nervous if I try something or shift my appearance or lifestyle or identity in a different way and that doesn't fit and I change something um, that I'm going to get judged for it. And so a lot of people are coming in looking for a space to explore that. Um, A lot of um, queer and trans people have a ton of trauma. And so also figuring out where where the trauma ends and the the self and the identity begin and really pulling those things apart is a huge piece of it. And like your identity is not a result of your trauma. Um, There's been, I think a really important thing is like we may think our personality is hypervigilance and very type a and making sure that everybody around us is okay and happy. And it's like, no, those are actually trauma responses. And if we pull the need to do those away, where is your identity and who are you? Um, and so really allowing to shed those things. So yes, your gender identity can shine, but also your full personality can too. Do you ever get to a point with a client where you think to yourself, I think there's trauma that's nonverbal and this isn't going to be talked out. I need mm-hmm. to suggest either additional therapy, a different mm-hmm. modality. Mm-hmm. What have you? Absolutely. Um, so I am an art therapist and so we'll use a lot of art therapy things when we hit those points. Um, we have another art therapy and our, another art therapist in our practice. We also have a dance movement therapist in our practice. Um, one of the other therapists, um, is, um, very somatic based. And so we have, um, a lot of our practitioners are trained in things that aren't verbal um, because it's there's so much more than that, and our body holds so much more than that, and our subconscious has a whole different story than than our conscious mind does. And really getting to all of those different parts um, and letting all of that come to the table and all be respected is really important. Um, and so whether it's through art making or through somatic or work, or um, we have an EMDR specialist, like using a bunch of different modalities. Um, and what I use isn't going to fit for everybody. And so it's also finding what fits for you. And if I hit something that I'm like, you know, this is kind of beyond my skill set, I'll, I'll find a, somebody that I can be like, this other therapist is a badass that really can help you and help that transition process. Do any particular success stories come to mind? Somebody that um, got the most that they could out of the therapeutic process, especially in terms of whether it's trauma or um, any, anything else, but particularly I think around, uh, gender being a part of the queer community. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to try and say this so I don't violate any HIPAA things. Right. Um, there is somebody that I, um, started working with when I first moved to LA about three years ago, um, who was a, a trans woman. Um, she's incredible. She came to me for a relationship therapy that was in a very toxic relationship. And that relationship was mimicking patterns um, of her childhood trauma. And that included her um, cis um, woman partner um, projecting extra 
feminine, dainty identities on her. And so she was being over-feminized. Even as a trans woman, she was being over-feminized by her partner. And um, the client, and we, we'll still check in once a month or as she, as she needs, um, is like a punk rock bitch. Like she's mm-hmm. like a big music head, very alt, great fashion sense, but isn't interested in like rainbows and puppies and cutes and curlies and all of those things. And so it was also in that place of let's pull the trauma reenactment out of this dynamic. They ended up splitting up. Um, and let's also say your your identity as a woman doesn't have to be this pretty makeup cutesy thing. Um, and she's um, now in a place where she was so people-pleasing and so afraid to let any part of herself out because she thought she was just going to destroy everybody um, to um, having um, really great relationships. Um, she's a non-monogamous person, so has two really great partners um, that she feels very like validated and supported by and doesn't feel like she needs to people-please and caretake to get that love and acceptance. Um, and that's huge. It's... Um, it's one of those things that I can, I can only tell her that a little bit without it being boundary crossing or inappropriate. Right, right, right. right? You know, it, it felt like it but, was general enough that yeah. uh, I'll ask you for her uh, her name and yeah. social security yeah. after we're done mm-hmm. talking. Um, <laughs> you know, as you were sharing that with me, you know, the, the thought occurred to me, has there ever been anybody in therapy who, who a part of their success in being in there hasn't involved them identifying what they like mm. and and not apologizing for it or crossing other people's boundaries trying trying to get it mm-hmm. it, it seems like such a universal thing at least for people pleasers yeah yeah it's huge it's also you know i think it goes for definitely for people pleasers but also for people who um don't know how to get that for themselves so they cross other people's boundaries to try and get it externally from somebody else and to be like Paul, you can't give me what I I need, so I'm going to be mad at you, and then I'm going to try and go get it from somebody else. It's like, no, I need to figure out what I need and be able to give that to myself. Yeah. Yeah, I heard in one of my support groups, uh, be the person you want to date before (laughs) before you get out there into the dating pool. Mm -hmm. Do you resemble at all what you're Mm -hmm. looking for? And if not, take some time alone and, and, and work on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and why? Like, why are you expecting somebody to have lower standards than you have. Because if you won't date you, why are you trying to date somebody who would date you? Well, that's a deep one. Wow. Is that another t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> would you date you? <laughs> I saw somebody with a tote the other day that's like, I go to therapy because you won't. That's- <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to share? Where can people get a hold of you? Because you do uh, tele sessions, correct? Yeah. Um, so, or are you all full up now? Uh, no, we have. We just hired a, another therapist about a month ago, okay. um, and so everybody's got. She's got a bunch of openings, um, and then our a few of our other therapists have a couple openings. Um, you can find us at OpenSpaceTherapyCollective.com. dot um, We are on Instagram, TikTok. Um, we started a our own podcast called My Therapist is Out, uh, which is not as polished as yours, but we are trying. 
Um, and so, yeah. Is, and is it therapist talking to therapist? Yeah, it's um, the our first uh, dozen episodes or so are our therapists talking to each other, and we've really realized, like, wait, this is a great community building tool. tool. So we're going to start um, talking with other queer artists and business owners and community builders um, this winter. So that'll be really, really That's fun so and exciting. Cool. And I yeah. think the lay people would be interested in just hearing how the way the therapists talk yeah. talk to each other. Yeah. How you talk about it behind <laughs> our backs. <laughs> we were talking about doing a, a like a therapist after dark episode with therapist horror stories. Um, that's, oh, that would be great. Yeah. Did you do one like once a month or yeah. one, once a year? Oh, people would love, yeah. I get them through the surveys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I imagine you guys, because you're sharing them from the opposite. I, we get them about the therapists who are horror stories, but we never get to hear the client. I mean, but it's also, we don't have any clients that are horror stories, even a there, because it's a space where the client like maybe we will get an asshole every once in a while, but that's like a five minute conversation. They don't stick around. What we get is on it, you know, similar to your surveys is, oh, by the way, I was seeing this therapist who said they were queer informed and f- a month in, they told me that they were here to pray the gay away. Oh. And so what they are or like therapists that will like consult with. Um, I just talked to a client that I see individually. I talked to their um couples counselor who misgendered them the whole time and i'm just yeah so now we'll probably just rag on other therapists yeah (laughs) um so give us the uh the website one more time open space therapy collective.com open space therapy collective and and uh renee will give us all the links and stuff i know people are going to try to get you as their therapist after (laughs) listening to this so i just wanted to say to them Keep your hopes low because I imagine uh, Renee's schedule is is pretty packed. But uh, one of the uh, support group meetings that we do with uh, people sometimes for the for the podcast is they were talking about how difficult it can be to find a therapist mm-hmm. for our you know mm-hmm. whatever somebody's particular issue is, especially mm-hmm. if it, if it's if it's really specific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, it's so hard. Yeah, we're. I'm um, very picky, so everybody that that works at our collective is an excellent therapist, and I fully back them. Um, which is, we've interviewed so many therapists, and there are very few really good therapists out there. And so, um, I I feel I feel that struggle, um, but our our crew is is really solid. So if I'm not available, somebody else awesome will be. Thanks, Renee. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Many, many thanks. Is that, uh, am I being redundant? I don't give a shit. That's, that's a holiday spirit kicking in. What am I talking about? I do that pretty much every single episode. Thanks for joining us. If you're in California and looking for a therapist, visit our website at openspacetherapycollective.com and book a free intro call with one of our therapists. If you're enjoying My Therapist Is Out, please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. My Therapist Is Out is an Open Space Therapy Collective podcast. Our therapists are Renee Johnson, Kristen Crow, Debbie White, Jenny Nigro, and Tara Friedman. Our podcast editing is done by Smash and Grab Studio. We'd love to hear from you about today's topic, so you can email us at info at 
You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at My Therapist Is Out and Open Space Therapy Collective. Thanks for listening.